Hello and welcome to Get Object. This is a podcast about things in games. I'm Rosie. I'm joined today by my co-host, Paul. We both have other podcasts, um, so we will introduce ourselves from there as well. Paul, what is your show called? Uh, My show is called Utopian Horizons, and it's a podcast about utopia in various forms, dystopia as well. So kind of exploring it through um, fiction, uh, through real political movements, um, film, you know, sometimes video games. But um, I don't get as much uh, opportunity to talk about video games as as I'd like on there. So this is a great forum for me to be able to to talk about them uh, a bit more. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly the same for me, really. Um, My shows are Diane, which is a podcast about Twin Peaks and The Shadow Trap, which is about monsters. Um, On both of those, I am joined by co-hosts who are not really into games. I still find ways to go on about them as much as possible. Um, (laughs) But lovely to have the opportunity to really get into it now. Sure. So I guess we should... um try and explain a bit about the the concept of of the podcast for uh, the people who are joining us for the first time. Um, They might wonder why we are focusing on on objects in games. Um, And apart from the reason that um, there are lots of video games podcasts out there that just talk about video games uh, in a standard way you might expect if we don't want to just do the the same thing as as everyone else is doing. We have thought for it a little bit. I don't know if you want to explain it, Rosie, because you've, you've thought about it a bit more than, than I have. Well, I mean, you say that. Um, my initial response for thinking of this podcast was that you had put out a very lovely article, which is available in The Guardian, um, about notebooks in video games, mm-hmm. in which you talked a little bit about how notebooks as objects in video games um, kind of give form to ideas. And I thought that was really lovely. And actually, you know in video games in general are giving form to ideas and and it's maybe nice to like spend time with the actual forms within them because even when you have a video game where it's kind of shooting for the big ideas right even where you have a game by like noted thought havers like Ken Levine or Mm. um (laughs) (laughs) you know I guess um Hideo uh, Kojima is uh, very much around at the moment because Death Stranding's just been released. They're not beaming these gigantic thoughts directly into your mind. You're kind of interacting with um, objects within the game. You're interacting with this gun, this wrench, um, this city, uh, these ruins, you know, and that's that's how you get the experience of it. Uh, So I thought objects would be a nice thing to focus in on from that perspective. And the other thing I thought was, I was was reading an article the other day um, by... Well, it was an interview with uh, John Romero. It was also in The Guardian. It was uh, an article by Edwin Evans Thurwell. Mm-hmm. And um, John Romero, who's obviously the uh, sort of co-creator of Doom, was talking about some kind of contemporary model of games as a service, right, where you're kind of subscribed to the game as a platform and you're constantly getting, opp- getting the opportunity to um, buy new guns or new skins or whatever the kind of loot loot subscribe to the battle pass or whatever (laughs) it is absolutely that yeah and and joe romero was there you know he sees it as a bit of a a bit of a shame i think he is sort of in doom is quite well known for having a restricted repertoire of guns i think you get like nine guns or something and he says he likes that he'd rather have fewer things with more meaning than a million things you don't identify with 
Um, and I think I, I would agree, really. I think it is nice to spend some time and actually think about how we identify with objects because, um, you know, even though it doesn't necessarily take resources to make um, a sort of object in a video game, it is taking someone's labour. Um, mm -hmm. It does take time. People have sat and thought about, you know, how they fit into the world, um, how you're going to feel about them as a player, what they look like. Uh, so, yeah, so nice to spend some time on that. Yeah, I think there's um, <clears throat> something to think about there as well in terms of, so it's, it's very easy to just sound like um, an old person when you're talking about this. In, yes. in that this is the way you know games are changing and moving towards the service. Yeah. But obviously, um, objects that appear in games, the the way that they're intended to function and the, what they do, that would have been they're still produced within a capitalist system, of course. However, of course. <laughs> however. You, I think the, this games as a service thing is is pushing the design away from or has the potential definitely to push the design away of thinking about what do we want this game to feel like, what do we want this object to to do, to how can we indoctrinate the player into this uh, loop of purchasing new things, and that so what I'm saying is. Capitalism, in some ways, always going to affect how you design the game. But this move to game as service may intensify certain aspects uh, in a what I would say is in a negative way. Absolutely, I think so. Yes, yeah. so we'll have a, a slow object movement here on um, on get object and and spend a bit more time. Yeah. Well, one other thing on that as well, actually, um, is worth saying that it's not something I'm particularly knowledgeable about, but I, I know I've seen other people. Um, talking about it, and I've I've just uh, I'll just be interviewing for somebody uh, for for my podcast who's written a book about video games called uh, Ideology and the Virtual City. Oh. And there's there is this idea of um, games kind of reproducing um, the neo neoliberal kind of work ethic anyway, <laughs> in terms of something like Grand Theft Auto, for example where you still, you have to do like labor yeah. in the game to, you know, buy property. And so that, that idea is already in there without you having to, the difference now is you have to do actual real labor to earn money to buy, to actually buy the objects. So it was kind of perhaps already there anyway, but just in a different form. So we thought we would introduce ourselves and our taste and objects a little bit uh, by talking about some of our favourite games and objects within them before we get on to our main theme for this week. Um, so we have both come up with three games that we like a lot um, and three objects within them that we enjoy interacting with. Paul, what was your first choice? First one I thought of was from Dishonored. Have you played nice. Dishonored? Yeah. I have played all the Dishonored games, yes. Yeah, me too. Love those games. Okay, yes. um, so the object I picked was um, the heart. Yes! Which is, um, it's an object I've also written an article on in the past, actually. Um, that, that So for anyone who doesn't know, that the heart is um, a heart that you get, which is kind of mixed in with some uh, technological attachments uh, mm. kind of a strange object to have um it's like but, the heart of your dead ex-girlfriend as well which is like yes nice <laughs> yeah 
I mean, I don't think you're supposed to know at the beginning, but it oh, comes, spoilers, becomes, I'm sorry. I mean, no, I don't, I don't think we can worry about spoilers <laughs> on this. Um, I'm sure we'll spoil plenty of things. Um, yeah. I, I just mean to say that it, it's kind of something you find out as you yes. play the game. But anyway, it, it, it has... So that it's um, function, I suppose, if you want to think about it that way, it's kind of a navigation device. So it, um, it kind of beats faster when you're near um, charms and runes which you can use to upgrade your abilities so it's kind of a yeah alternative form of a a, a map or like i guess a radar you could think of it as which is it's kind of a cool idea in itself but what i like about it is you can also point it at stuff and activate it and it will tell you things about people's thoughts it will tell you things about buildings so i think i really like it as a way of kind of learning about the world and kind of revealing something uh, kind of tying the game's themes together and revealing stuff that you you instead of characters having to blurt out stuff to you about their kind of deepest secrets which video games they they sometimes do because mm. you wouldn't in real life instead the heart provides a way to, to to kind of do that in a way that makes sense so that's my first one that is a lovely choice i, I might have um gone for that one myself if i thought of it actually yeah i really like the heart um okay my choice number one, um, uh, in a move that I'm sure will shock everyone, nobody has ever talked about this game in a beardy way on the internet ever before. My first choice is Half-Life 2 uh, by Valve, and the object is the can. Um, so have you played uh, okay. Have you played Half-Life, Paul? Yes. Uh, yes. Is this Half-Life 2? Half-Life 2. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. Yeah. So um, Half-Life 2 uh, takes place in a version of the Earth that has been invaded by an alien force that is in occupation. Um, and when you wake up on a, uh, in the game, you're on a train going into a station, quickly kind of get a sense of the feel of the world. Uh, there is uh, an incredibly aggressive presence of a very militarised police force. Everything's a bit dilapidated and sad. Um, you're just sort of shuffling off the train. And one of the first interactions you have with um, one of these police is that he pushes a can on the floor in front of you and uh, tells you to pick up the can. Mm. Uh, you can either um, pick the can up and throw it in a bin or you can pick the can up and throw it at the guard, which I think is what most people do. Um, <laughs> and then he chases you for a bit and hits you with his baton. Yeah, I love that can. I think you just get so much in the can. Um, for a start, you get the uh, dynamic of rebellion and oppression uh, between yourself and the mm -hmm. guard. The fact that this uh, this interaction you're having with the state in this world is going to be a, a hostile one. Um, you get um, the can is unbranded, right? It's just a can. It just blue. That's all it is. Yeah. Um, it's really weird to see that, actually. Quite noticeable. You expect, like, bright colours and stuff like that. It, it is a slightly jarring thing. Um, say what you like about Combine-occupied Earth. It is at least post-capitalist. So there's no advertising <laughs> on the can. There's no need to do that. Yeah. Um, the other thing is um, it's a physics item. Um, a lot of Half-Life 2 is around sort of physics. Um, you're actually a physicist. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but mainly what you're doing is picking things up and moving them around in the world. Um, that's a large part of the mechanics of the game. Um, so you get introduced to that early on. Um, it's and that was that was kind of really new at the time. Like that was re so th that object like shows you straight away like 
because we, we now might be familiar with physics and games, yes. but at the time, not necessarily. So it's a good, great way of right at the start, like, oh, here's the here's how things work here. Yeah. Like there's physics. In Absolutely. This is what yeah. you can do. It's not just a physics item. It's a Havoc physics item, which is always a fun thing to interact with. Um, the Havoc engine, which was like, I think people are still using it, but um, really huge around sort of mm. 2010s, particularly hundreds and hundreds of games with these items that move in this very distinctive way. Um, I always mm. enjoy interacting with Havoc physics. There's something very charming yeah. <laughs> yeah. about the way that things kind of judder around within that system. And the last thing is, of course, it's trash. Um, and, you know, that this is a world that is uncared for. And there is just trash lying around. And the extent to which the world is not cared for um, by the Combine, by the occupying alien force, is something that you see more and more of as you go through the game. Um, and it's a source of sadness. And it's right there in the beginning in that can. Nice. Good choice. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um... I've picked for the second one, uh, Metal Gear Solid. And, I don't know. I've uh, never played a Metal Gear Solid game. You've never played never a Metal Gear Solid game? Never in my life. Okay. 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 Well, yeah, Metal Gear Solid, the first one, really uh, foundational for me. So uh, I wanted to try and slot that one mm-hmm. in. Um, I picked from... There was lots of items that you could have picked from this. I picked diazepam. Nice. Which, which is, um, the reason I picked it is because it, um, so basically in the game you can, if you use a sniper rifle in particular, um, you're, uh, it'll be slightly wobbly. Okay. Um, so there are a couple, so you can either take diazepam to kind of, to kind of chill you out, calm yourself down (laughs) and then you'll have a, yeah. Or you can smoke a cigarette, <laughs> nice. which will which will damage your health, but will um, yeah calm the aim down. Right, this and is what we all know about cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought. So the, I, I think Metal Gear Solid was a was a game that I where I encountered a lot of things that I had encountered before. Um, cinematics was a kind of cinematic approach to the game, which is now like really common and, and obvious. Was I completely blew me away at the time mm-hmm. but but things like this like little like the idea of you know the people have this association of like smoking uh calming you down or like drugs calming you down and then and it wouldn't it, you know and then having this connection to um to, to, to something like that it was it was um yeah surprising things and little small things and things you could take from things you know about the world to and and Metal Gear Solid is a game full of bizarre yeah, bizarre things. I, I'm sure you probably know about the Psycho Mantis boss fight. I, I don't know. I actually don't. Well, I, I know that the main character is called Solid Snake. Okay. Is that correct? That's correct. So, so Okay, so that's mad I'm, I'm going to have to tell you this then, just because so <laughs> Psycho Mantis is a, is a, a boss who uh, is has psychokinetic powers and he can cool. read Snake's mind. And he will, right. if you've got any Konami games on your memory card, he will start talking about... Um, games that you've played and uh, in the idea he's reading your mind and when you start the fight yeah when you start the fight he'll dodge everything you do because he knows what you're going to do and the only way to defeat him is to work out they have to swap controller ports and then um 
then he can't read you anymore and the, the fight kind of starts proper. It'll also tell you to put your controller on the floor and it uses the rumble function and the idea is that he's moving it with his mind. So that's oh the kind God. of bizarre stuff. And for me, like, the, so the, the Dazzle Pam is just, like, a, a little example of the kind of oddness that Kojima has that kind of expands out into things like that. Yeah. That is fantastic. That actually really makes me want to play um, Metal Gear for the for the first oh, time. That sounds it's, completely balmy. It's, yeah, it, his games are very, very strange. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, okay, so choice number two for me is another probably quite unsurprising choice uh, for people uh, Yeah, getting critical on video games. It's Dark Souls mm -hmm. um, by From Software. I believe you have played Dark Souls. Yeah, uh, I have not finished Dark Souls. I I got on with Bloodborne much better than Dark Souls. I only, oh, really? I only got to the Gaping Dragon. Is that okay? Thing? Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. I think then I moved house and the time away from it. I came <laughs> I came back to it, fell down a hole, got poisoned by a frog, and then turned it off yes. and never came back again. I think that's fair enough, yeah. really. Um, yeah, no, I, I love Dark Souls. Um, I think I get on with that slightly better than Bloodborne, actually, because okay. I love a fantasy, fantasy environment. Um, and yeah, so I mean, so I mentioned that I sort of got a background in anthropology and my particular field uh, was the anthropology of religion. And I'm always interested to see how spiritual concepts um, become object. Uh, become objectified within um, texts. Um, so in my um, podcast about Twin Peaks, uh, Diane, I think within Twin Peaks, you know, you can see the way that the soul is approached as a kind of a landscape that you can kind of journey through. Um, that's the way, like quite a characteristic way that Twin Peaks would handle it. But within Dark Souls, um, the soul is more like an item. So that's the mm. item that I thought of okay. for that game. It's just interesting to have it as a thing that you can this thing that you know you can have or not have what the difference between those things might look like obviously when you defeat a boss within dark souls you actually get it as an item um and it's like this this wonderful glowing thing and there's so much there about the way in which we're sort of conceptualizing what this strange property is that, that you know lots of us believe in um but we really can't put our finger quite on what what it would be um but dark souls kind of struggling to or struggling around these kind of similar ideas, what souls look like, what it means to not have one, uh, is uh, is a question throughout the game. Mm, nice. Okay. My final one is from Quadrilateral Cowboy. I don't know if you're familiar with that game. Never even heard of that game. So it's a game where uh, it's a, I guess you could say, uh, it's a heist game mm -hmm. where you have a laptop and you can um it kind of teaches you how to like program a little bit so oh. like basic things so like a, a locked door you have to connect to the door and be like you know type in the code to open the door for three seconds because like an alarm will go off if it and then you type in the code press the button the door opens you run through that's like the nice. basic thing of it but uh i picked uh the weevil which is did you uh, i've got a feeling we're maybe around the same age did you ever mm. at school have those um those those things that i feel like was like a, an early way of trying to get kids used to the idea of programming it was like a little um <gasps> robot where you could yes! put, like uh, you know go forward however many turn left and you could program and then yeah 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 route. 
Yeah. The little the little round guy um, looked almost like a Roomba. We used to have, yeah, we did used to have one at school. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like that. It's, okay. Um, it's, uh, and what you, so what you can do, you can put it into a small space that you can't reach. You can, on your laptop, connect to the Weevil and <laughs> tell it, go forward this bit, turn 90 or whatever. And you kind of guide it around and then you can connect it to ports and then interact with other things. And um, it's just fun and cute and fun. reminded me of the thing at school. So <laughs> that's why I picked it. Lovely. <laughs> okay, um, great. So yeah, my last choice, um, Hitman uh, is the game. Um, I absolutely love the Hitman series. Um, I think you've played Hitman as well. Yeah, I've played all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't. F- I've only played a bit of the new one. Are you talking about right. the new one or the? Or the I'm gonna. One? I mean, it's kind of all of them because um, my object is the fiber wire. Which, I mean, I started at Blood Money, actually, so I don't know if it's in the early, early games. I assume it is, the fibre work. Yeah, it is in all of them, I think. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, that kind of makes sense because it is uh, just this incredible embodiment of the Hitman ethos. Um, The thing I really like about Hitman is this feeling of elegance. Um, It's uh, a game where you are entering the international world of assassination, you know, and so you're walking through areas of incredibly rich, powerful people because those are the Mm -hmm. only people who are going to get assassinated. And um, often the environments you're in are kind of minimalist. You know, they're beautifully designed. These are, you know, people with a lot of money um, who are showing off their tastes. So when you're walking around their, you know, uh, fashion shows or their mansions or wherever you are um you're in these uh kind of impeccable immaculate kind of environments and your agent 47 who is also a very impeccable and immaculate man um mm-hmm. himself and uh, this whole ethos of minimalism of course is is the way you're supposed to play the game you're supposed to be um uh killing people with the minimum uh fuss or mess um it's supposed to be you know um leave nothing but footprints, take nothing but memories kind of deal. Yeah. And um, and I think the fibre wire really embodies this, this, you know, um, fine line between life and death. You're not going to go and I don't I don't even take guns into missions and Hitman. I don't I don't believe in that. I think you should just be Too able professional. to. <laughs> absolutely. You just go in with the fibre wire and that's that's absolutely all you should be using. Yeah, because um, the guns, the guns create a, a, a messiness, which I exactly. say does not feel like it fits with the ethos or the or what you do. The fiber wire is a cleanness to. It's, it's it probably really not that clean if you fiber wire someone in real life. <laughs> I don't know, but within the game, it, 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 yeah. I would imagine it may not be. Yeah, there may be some voiding of the bowels, but um, but yeah, in Hitman, in Hitman, it's lovely and neat. You know, that's the way yeah. to go in and do it. So that was the object that I chose. Cool. Well, hopefully that's a nice little introduction for people to to kind of our our tastes and the, the 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 concept of kind of exploring objects but now we can i guess get on to what we're going to be doing every episode of this podcast which is picking a, a specific item or a category of items and exploring those so yes. uh for this episode we're talking about keys we are, yeah, keys. Um, they kind of um, sprung to mind immediately for me when I was trying to think about what kind of um, things you have in video games. Um, I was looking at the kind of games that I have sort of 
just actually by the side of me right now as I'm sitting here. And and nearly all of them have keys in them. I think this is probably me revealing my taste a little bit because I tend to be playing a game where I am a character having an adventure. I am not playing like a football simulator or anything like that okay. um, yeah. when I'm playing video games, which I don't really have keys. But yeah, um, but yes, they, they are kind of everywhere. You do have to unlock the defence if you're playing a football game. Do you? Okay, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so keys and, and actually when I was thinking about the first video games I remember playing, um, which would have been on the BBC micro, uh, that would have been like, uh, Zork and Citadel were both games that I really liked. I don't know if you've played either of them. Uh, not that I remember. I mean, we had BBC micros at school. Uh, yeah. I vaguely, I have very, very vague memories of playing games on them, but I don't know what they were. Right, yeah. Zork, I mean, Zork, Zork is... I know, I know what Zork is. Yeah. Zork, obviously, text-based adventure yeah. game, um, came out in 1977, I found out, which is, feels like Crazy. a very, yeah, very long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, and Citadel, which was a fun kind of castle exploration game. Really, really difficult. Um, but yeah, both of them had keys, so I guess they were sort of... They'd been there from uh, very early on. I mean, the thing, the thing I started thinking of was... Uh, so as you say, yeah, they, they've, they've been in, in games from early on. They're still in games now. Mm. So the thing I started thinking of was, was what makes a key um, appealing. Mm. Um, to, me, to me, it instantly makes me think of, of a secret of something that, because it's, it tells, a key tells you that somewhere something is locked away yes. that you shouldn't be able to get to. It's either something valuable or it's something you shouldn't know about. That's inherently, uh, it's actually, thinking about this made me recall a, a memory that I'd completely forgotten of. When I was a, a kid, I had a key that I think, uh, it was just like an old key that my mum didn't know what it was for or something. Right. So I had it to play with. And because she didn't know what it was for, like, it was some, do you know what I mean? There was something yes. about that as a kid. Like, so for me, it's like, I've got this key to play with that it's like a secret thing that can access stuff. And I think that, to me, that's, what the appeal of the key is. I don't know if that resonates with you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely thrilling, the thought of, of the place. It's a place, yeah, the mystery, the place where you're not supposed to go. I mean, me and my mates, when I was a kid, um, my brother, sister, and, and some of our friends had a club called the Go Where You're Not Supposed to Go Club. And um, cool. oh, yeah, and we would like, like urban try... exploration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we invented that. Yeah. But we would like spend us like days during the summer and stuff trying to get into like um, what were probably like electricity substations and things okay. like that, like places where we definitely there's yeah. a reason you're not supposed to go there, kids. But um, but yeah, it's just the thrill of exploration and the idea there might be something there to open itself up for you um, mm. is is really exciting. And um, and yeah, the idea that the keys are, you mentioned kind of, they're they're thrilling. Um, I think they uh, they have all these layers of meaning, as you were saying, the idea of secrecy. I did check to see. Um, I thought a way of checking kind of what parts of the material environment might be really particularly symbolically charged when we're thinking about objects um, mm -hmm. was to look at uh, WhatsApp and the emojis that were available as uh, in the category of objects. And for keys, there's like four different keys and locks that mm. you can um, use. And I thought, okay, so what are other items we use in our everyday life? Um, and uh, you know, there's towels, but there are no towel emojis, but there are so many for keys. <laughs> keys are much more symbolically useful to us than towels are, it turns out. 
um, which you know, poor old towels, but um, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I was, th- yeah, that um, the, the, the key is like a, a thing of symbolism for like yeah. knowledge, or so I, I thought of like, I'm sure there's some like Illuminati symbols and, and stuff that have keys in them, um, all sorts of other things, so yeah, it's definitely symbolic power, yeah. There. Yeah, yeah. And actually, the the other thing that I thought about on an everyday sense, uh, when you were saying about this key that you had as a kid, that you didn't Mm. know what it did. I looked at my keychain the other day. I've got four keys on it that I don't know what they do. (laughs) Four. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous, but you don't want to get rid of them, do you? Because, you know, you might might need it. You you never know. So they end up being these kind of mysterious everyday items uh, that you kind of carry around with you. The the other thing was... um... What I always thought, like the idea of a skeleton key, was like the coolest shit ever when I was a kid. Like the the idea of a skeleton key was incredibly appealing. I mean, if you think, I mean, that would have been been the dream for your club, wouldn't it? The, the skeleton key. Oh my god, we would have absolutely <laughs> lost our minds. Yeah, I think the skeleton keys is the name as well, isn't it? It's just there's something unbelievably oh, yeah. <laughs> cool about skeleton keys. And I looked them up, and they've been around since you know ancient Rome. Um, ancient china like they've been around for such a long time um i was trying to think of something else that you might have on you in your day-to-day life that's as old as keys and it's like money i guess is really it um it's like this super super old invention that we still have um and and yale locks apparently are from the mid 1800s so that's that even they're getting on yeah uh, quite quite a lot i guess we'll move towards key cards i don't know i don't know it, it it feels weird it just feels like slightly archaic to me walking around with this big jangling bunch of keys all the time um but uh but yeah there is something nice about them as well yeah just, just while we just while we're talking about skeleton keys because i i asked <clears throat> i asked some people in a couple of uh, video game discords about Ooh. keys that they that jumped to mind for them oh lovely so there were a few so there were, there were a few, uh, so, uh, some people mentioned keys in a Planetscape, which I think you've played, right? Uh, yes, I so have. I haven't. So apparently there's stuff like anything can be a key in there or something. Like there are items that are keys. There are things you do that can be keys. There are... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is part of the law. I have yeah. not got particularly far in it. Okay, so uh, Zork was mentioned, as you, as you said. Nice. Uh, the the Keyblade from the Kingdom Hearts series, Resident Evil keys, Splunky keys. But anyway, somebody specifically mentioned, apparently there's a skeleton key in Skyrim, so I just thought it was worth mentioning. In a, so I should have written down who, who told me this, but there's a key in Dwemar Dungeon in, in Skyrim. Okay. The, the master key to all the doors, uh, all the door locks, all the chests. And, it, and apparently it's in a room... Um, behind a door that says that requires a key, right? <laughs> and the only way this person was able to get it, there's a telekinesis spell. So they got hold of that key by pulling it through the bars, and they said that was one of their favourite moments in Skyrim. So, yeah, that is so cool, though. That I mean, that's really the kind of magic of uh, that you get with um, Elder Scrolls games. I think uh, moments like that when you're like, oh wait a second, if I can do this. Yeah. then I am the master of the universe, yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, loads of stuff is going to open up to me. Um, and actually, like, I feel like that's a feeling that those games sort of have less and less um, since Morrowind. Um, so it's really nice to hear that there's that, that thing in Skyrim. I've never found that. I might go and look for that, literally, yeah. um, cool. and see if I can find that key. 
Something I wondered is, is what was literally the first key from a game that you thought of when, when we started discussing this? The first key from a game that I thought of. Yeah, um, the, the, the first one that came to mind, yeah. The first one that came to mind. I mean, for me, um, was um, the game that I spent like hours and hours on as a kid that I think really sort of shaped my taste was um, Exile Escape from the Pit. Um, I don't know if you would have heard of that. No. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's um, by a guy called Jeff Vogel who releases games as Spiderweb Software um, and more recently has kind of updated the Exile series. It's called Avenum now, but it's basically the same game. Would this um, be like a PC game? Or? It's a PC game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You used to be able to get like a huge demo of it on the cover of like PC Gamer okay. um, back in like yeah. the early 90s or mid 90s. Um, and it has... Uh, Lots of dungeons full of goblins, which is what I really like. Okay. And there's one where there's a particular dungeon where they're all kind of um, running around. And to get through onto the next dungeon, you need to basically get um, an onyx key. And the way it's described is just cool. And it's on an altar with like, you know, goblin shit and skulls and stuff all going on. <laughs> and it's just a very exciting thing. I just love it. Okay, cool. What about your first key? The 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 first key that sprung to my mind was the keys from Doom, from the original Doom. Nice. Um, the the red, yellow, and blue keys that were in, I don't know, maybe they were in every level. I don't know. It feels <laughs> like it. Um, which um, yeah, instantly got me kind of onto thinking about how keys are used in games and how they're kind of definitive of how they're structured. So in Doom. In case anybody doesn't doesn't know, as I said, there are three coloured keys uh, corresponding to doors of the same colour. And normally the the level is structured in some way around, oh, here's a red door that's locked. I need to find the red key. Once I've got the red key, I can get in there. There'd be a yellow door that's locked, find the yellow key and so on. Um, So this was kind of really important to how the world was structured. The key is there to gate off each section. It's there to make you... Uh, it's there to to force you to explore a part of the level so that you you know you have to go through this bit to get to the next bit um and i thought this also tell, tells us a lot about how the 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 structure of games have have changed particularly in relation to how to how much care they pay to realism um i'm not talking about like fighting demons um obviously that sense doom is is still very unrealistic yeah but um the the doom now the modern doom that that just came out a couple years ago and there's a new one coming out i don't know next year i think Mm -hmm. yeah um those spaces have a logic to them you know these space stations and, and research stations when you move through them they're constructed like real places the first doom you might find a key card on a pillar surrounded by toxic waste, which right. makes no sense in terms of where should I put this key? Um, <laughs> I'll just leave it on the on the toxic waste pillar. Um, then we'll we'll remember it's there. Um, it makes no sense at all. And th- th- so these these spaces they pay some kind of so you know there's like a warehouse level area with crates in it. So there's some gestures to like this being a real space, but fundamentally. The levels in in Doom are levels. They don't make sense as 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 actual spaces that you yeah. would that you would. These are supposed to be like research space facilities or something. You, they they don't 
they don't make any sense as that when you, you think about them in that way. So the fact that we've have to this very obvious it's very it's very um transparent the the structure this door's locked go get go find the key it's very obvious that this is a video game level thing um and that's something that's changed a, a lot i think and uh, yes yeah, as i said just trying to show us that we did not have an expectation that those type of games should have an architecture that's logical or realistic we didn't expect that, that was not an expectation that we had they didn't have to make sense so but uh, we accepted that now if you make a game like that in first obviously we still have abstract games and games that are like very gamey for one of a better term but games that are these kind of first person shooters and stuff they we tend to expect that the world makes sense in, in some way and that's um, a big change I think yeah I mean absolutely it's um actually in that article I was talking about from uh, John Romero earlier on he was saying about how in the original Doom you could kind of when they were making it, you could kind of put a secret room basically anywhere you liked. Yeah. Um, and the way he was talking about it was because, you know, um, the there was no need to worry about, you know, the way the lighting was working and the way the physics were working and stuff like that. But I would imagine there's also like just the fact that like, yeah, put a, put a secret room in this wall if you want to. That doesn't need to like make sense in terms of the world. Whereas in the new Doom, like the secret areas he was saying were much more difficult to figure out how to place them. Um, much more demanding in terms of like actually fitting them into the architecture. Um, in, in, a, in a sense, it's probably more restrictive because, like, I mean, now like people, there's stuff like they have to think about if you build any kind of space, it's like, well, there has to be a bathroom here. Yes. Yeah. This is a space <laughs> where people exist. So exactly. Has to be, you have to um, put those spaces in. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's maybe more restrictive. I don't know. It's different in any case. But it is, I mean, that, I guess with the keys, like, that is like, it's become like a fundamental part of the language of how we expect spaces to be presented to us in games, in, in <clears throat> what we expect to have to do. We mm -hmm. expect to have to open up more and more of this world. Because um, I was trying to think of examples of like, the games I've played that don't have keys, as I was saying, nearly all of them do. Um, mm. I had two examples. I had um, Proteus and Journey. Have you played um, Proteus? Yeah. It's yeah. fun, isn't it? I like it. It's a kind of pantheism simulator where you sort of run around and the whole world's sort of like singing and making fun noises at you. Yeah. Um, and, and no keys. And, and also, yeah. as, as far as I can remember, no keys, no, no areas being locked off in Journey either. Um, I could be wrong about that because I think you actually... No, there's no locks. I think okay. And it, it kind of makes sense with those worlds because those are worlds where they're trying to simulate this kind of deep connection and the removal of barriers. Like those are concerns of those games. Mm -hmm. um, and so you don't have you you don't have keys, you don't have locks. But as I say, it's, it's really... In like adventure games, in games where there's an environment to explore, you expect areas of it to be locked off. And that for that to be actually largely what the game is. Yeah, I mean, as you say, we normally we are in these games normally an interloper of some kind. We normally quite often have quite an aggressive relationship. With, <laughs> yes. With so the key must exist because if we're kind of interlopers in this world, it has to be closed off to us for us to like kind of break through. So it's like a necessary 
inclusion because of the way that we're expected to interact with the world and what our kind of uh, role is, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting today that we're talking about keys rather than locks because, of course, we're like the... Sorry, I've just hit, hit the mic there. Um, because we're the um, active element right rather than the the passive the passive is the world is is the thing that's built in with a sort of questing thing that's going to run through and 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 figure it all out and open it up um i do really like the difference between the way that they're used in real life and the way that they're used in games because in real life they're there to protect property really um and um and in games it's just like they're there to protect more of the game like you 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 spend time get trying to get through the, the the lock trying to use the key so that you can just have more of the world Um, and that's lovely it shows the kind of value of these worlds to us so uh one more thing i wanted to say was about the you were saying it's about uh a lot of the time you're like an interloper in the Mm -hmm. world and i love that i love it it did make me think about how often so much of what we are enjoying when we're enjoying video games is the thrill of transgression of um you know, throwing the can at the cop's face at the beginning of Half-Life, you know, mm-hmm. of, of of being a bit naughty. And, um, but, you know, n- not too much. I think that's the thing, like the phrase that comes to mind for keys that, uh, that when I like looked for phrases about keys on the internet was keys are for honest people. Okay. Um, because obviously like if someone, if you've locked your house, if someone really wants to get in, probably what they're going to do is they're not going to try and find your key. No. Like, that's, that's not how they're going to do no. it. They're going to smash the window or something. Um, so, um, but yeah, so you're someone who's in the world, you're following the rules of the world, really, um, yep. using these keys that are never your key. Like, it's never, you don't wake up with a key in your pocket. You're always finding other people's keys and those are the keys that you're using. Um, but yeah, so you're, um, yeah. A bit of transgression, not too much transgression. You're very rarely someone who is going around kicking in doors or smashing through chests. Yeah. Um, that doesn't tend to be the thing. Um, and the other part of that atmosphere that I liked was um, uh, another key that came to mind for me was uh, it's not a key. It's in Morrowind and it's a scroll called Akash's Lock Splitter. And exactly like... Um, the person you were quoting from uh, Discord was mm. saying in Skyrim, there's, you know, this key that is a skeleton key and can open anything up. Um, Akash's lock splitter was a, a scroll that could open any any lock, any lock up to like 100% difficulty. So basically, if you, if you have this scroll, you can use it on anything that you want to get into. Um, and they bear inscriptions, um, the scrolls in Morrowind and uh, in, in runes that you can then go and be hugely nerdy and look up on the internet. <laughs> and someone's translated them, of course. Yeah. Um, and it has a lot split of the rune says, woe upon you. And okay. I really like that. I just think it's um, that idea of opening something and it's cursed, like that you shouldn't have opened it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. you know, and that's so key to like uh, the key symbolism um and you think about myths like pandora's box or fairy yeah, tales yeah, yeah. like um bluebeard and they both concern they're kind of um they're both stories about women's curiosity having bad implications which you obviously see in lots of myths anyway um but specifically you know opening this door could be a bad idea and mm. that's part of the excitement i think yeah absolutely yeah that's why you were sneaking into places as a kid. As yeah, well. no, that's exactly it. That's that's the that's the whole ethos of the go where you're not supposed to go club. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> cool. Okay, well, 
the the other place this this kind of took me was to to start thinking about so we so i was talking about how in doom like the the structure is very transparent and very mm. obvious and it, it made me think about how um and and as i said in the new in the new doom um interestingly i can't remember if the new doom has key cards i think it does it but does that tells yes, you it... something that it's far less uh important or at least far less transparent because it doesn't come across as significant uh to me so i started thinking about how keys have kind of become obscured or hidden or or even disappeared and um I started thinking about point and click games. Was this the first thing I thought of? So lovely. I was very much into the LucasArts games and the Discworld, Simon the Sorcerer. Loved all that stuff. Right, so, yeah. And those those have the same kind of structure in that the next bit of the game, either an area or the story, is locked and you have to unlock it. But you don't yeah, there may be okay. There might be some puzzles where you have to get a key. But generally speaking, <laughs> generally speaking, your your key is like the, the puzzles. You have to get the rubber chicken and connect it to the pulley or whatever the the, the stupid puzzle is, and you have to work that out. And then once you've done that, you can get to the next bit. So mm. these are these are these are not keys but they have the the same function so these item puzzles are used to structure the world in the same way and it's a way of i guess partly it's um it makes the key into something interesting that you have to think about yeah and, and, and work out but it also uh hides that structure a little bit i think like it's not so obvious like that you're that the we're locking this bit off um so get the key and open it it's a bit bit more obscured yeah i love it as well that the way in which it um as you're saying it encourages you to it's not quite the same adversarial relationship with the world um that we were mentioning you can have um earlier Mm -hmm. um it's it's more like you are sort of communing with it and really figuring it out and bringing everything together and and sort of making it um harmonize almost and then when you do that suddenly you know you feel like oh yeah i use the pasta on the mummy and <laughs> um and then you can get through uh the next into the next part of the game i think there's something really love a bit more gentle about it yeah actually you 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 as you specifically said there's quite often uh a case you have to fix something or um help somebody yes like you have to be more you have to be kind of more flexible and malleable to the demands of the world and the people around it. And you have to, yeah, make, make the world function a bit better or or help someone out, smooth things over to Mm. open up the next area rather than just kind of nicking the key from somebody (laughs) and like moving on. And I don't care about, or, you know, nicking stuff from somebody's chest that they've carefully stored there. Yeah. 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 No, it's lovely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, maybe it speaks to something that, like, is, like, the idea that, like, maybe if you spend time and you really kind of figure out the world and you really figure out how this all works, you know, maybe one day it'll all kind of click and uh, open itself up to you a bit more. Um, The fact that point-and-click games, you know, actually 
that actually happens yeah. is is really nice it's quite um satisfying really because it doesn't happen that often in real life <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah so then yeah continuing on down this path um i started to think about kind of um what else can kind of stand in for keys mm. so uh, i mean i mentioned dishonor before where so it's, again it still has keys in it but because it has to be the world has to make sense and it has to be logical the key is now no longer on a pillar in some toxic waste it will be on a guard and he has to have some reason there has to be some reason for the door to be locked and uh, so there, there are still keys there but really dishonored kind of again there are lots of areas that can become accessible to you but that's normally built around what power you have and how you've invested your skill points whether you can possess a fish and swim for a pipe or yeah. whether you've upgraded blink enough to get to a high ledge or always you should always be updating blink oh yeah for sure it's the best yeah, <laughs> yeah that's my favorite one um so these are yeah making again making this the structure a bit less obvious but also making it a bit more interesting making it making the act of unlocking like part of the gameplay that you're having to do make it more creative making mm -hmm. it multifaceted because there are lots of different ways to get into the same place the other one the other one i thought of was uh, metroidvanias uh, oh, I, don't okay. I don't know if you're much of a metroidvania person or not no, so I actually, this month, um, Hollow Knight has just become available on um, PlayStation Now, uh, okay. which I believe is a game of that type. That I've... seems like very much your, I think you'll go really like that. Oh, because, I'm but, so well, people, bad at it. People, people always compare it to Dark Souls, so... I know, I know, yeah, but I think the thing is with it being 2D, um, right. is that the same with Metroid? I think it might be. Yeah. Um, and I don't know about Castlevania because I've never... Yeah, they're both they're both two D. Um, yeah, no, I struggle with that to be honest. I, I'm 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 really trying with Hollow Knight, but I'm I'm not okay. getting anywhere at all. Okay, that's a shame. Well, yeah, never mind. <laughs> there's um, but but there are. So yeah, I also so I haven't played um Metroid or Super Metroid or Castlevania, but I have played some of the more like recent games okay. that are in that genre, so like Guacamelee. I don't know if you're familiar with yes, that. Yes, I've played that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fun. Oh, okay. So, they, so yeah, we've got some common ground. And you like that? I do like that, actually. Yeah, that wasn't so hard. Um, yeah, yeah. It wasn't, wasn't quite as difficult as Yeah, it's quite accessible. Yeah. yeah. So, there, again, they, they, they have a different approach to it. They, again, the structure is, again, more transparent, I think, where it's like you get to the bit that's locked. Mm -hmm. how do you get through here well you do need a key but the key is now a skill or an ability and again it makes you it makes it into something that you have to do and normally um those abilities are something you can use in other contexts as well so the the quackamele abilities that you use to like smash for a wall mm. are like punches that you can use in fights you have to use them you can use them for like platforming, so kind of moving further and higher. So it becomes something that you the key the key is both more interesting, it's something you can use in different contexts. Right. So yeah. 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 So like right. So it just becomes sort of part of your um 
yeah, your navigational abilities and just like your wider interaction with the world, you become the key yeah. as you get, sort of get better and sort of have these more skills unlocking. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And then just to, to kind of bring this this thought to a conclusion of, of kind of keys becoming kind of obscured or, or more multifaceted and whatever, mm-hmm. I, I ended up at kind of the, the witness as an, as an endpoint. Have you played the witness? I... Yes, I have played The Witness. I did not get tremendously far. It's really difficult. Those are some difficult puzzles. Okay, okay. So just to explain for anyone who hasn't played it, it's uh, a puzzle game with what basically are maze puzzles. So Mm -hmm. you draw a line from the entrance to the exit. That's the right at the beginning of the game, just basic maze puzzles like you would have played on the back of a cereal box or or something like that. Mm. Then it begins to incorporate symbols that change the rules of how you have to get from the entrance to the exit, but it doesn't tell you what the symbols are. So you can only work it out by experimenting. You might get a puzzle right, but not really know why. And then you have to move on to the next one and kind of work with your instincts or test your theories until you understand what the symbol means. And then... Yeah, I was gonna say it's a really interesting way of like approaching learning in games, and like it seems oh, like something yeah, that's yeah. been very thought through the way oh, that you sort of figure things out. It must have been incredibly thought through because yeah. it's incredible. There's so many, there's so many points where you come across. Um, yeah, they, they also will like combine symbols. Like once you've learned, so the, the basic structure is you learn the symbol and you do the puzzles in that area with that symbol but then they start to combine with each other and then you mm-hmm. think well I understand this symbol but I don't understand that symbol and that must be incredibly complicated to think about what the player knows at what point and yes. how you properly um but yeah it is a, a very interesting and compelling approach to learning um and it's a very compelling approach to because for me, what these, these are basically keys, but the, the keys are like knowledge. First of all, keys in terms of like symbols, you know, like this symbol means that thing, or like you have a key on a graph or, or whatever, which is mm. what these symbols are. But the, the keys become a knowledge that you have to acquire yourself. Like a, it's like a, a moment of epiphany that's very satisfying. And then we, we talked a bit before about like symbolism of keys relating to knowledge and you know, being like Illuminati symbols or alchemy. Yeah. Alchemical symbols and and stuff like that. So this is what the keys are. The the keys have disappeared as an object. They're no longer there as an object, but they're still there. And it's something that, yeah, I love The Witness. It's it's such a satisfying... And and just this idea that a change of... Sometimes like a change change of perspective can be a key. Like Mm. there's there's moments in The Witness where you're just like completely confused and then you just walk round and look at something from another angle and it's just like ah there it is that's the key that's I get it now I can do all this stuff and yeah I think that's yeah it's it's the way that the um I think that's it's interesting you keep using the word satisfying for that and and it's like the way the most satisfying thing in games really is is when the um it it's kind of aims and its mechanics um sort of come to live inside you and you can start seeing seeing the sort of structures outward like when you look at the world you're like ah, I know what to do with this you know and it's it's really lovely um the way that that can work it's uh it's kind of comes to inhabit you a little bit yeah it's the the, I mean the witness is a game that primarily takes place in your head (laughs) like you're you're you're, (laughs) 
you're just stand you're staring at a panel and you're not like necessarily interacting with the game you might just be thinking like mm. how did these so yeah it really yeah like so kind of embeds itself in your mind in a very deep way yeah it's lovely very, uh, very rewarding yeah uh, you should try it again i should i know so i really i was finding it, it so hard, hard yeah yeah it was because it was um I think uh, I, I read Jonathan Blow, uh, who's the designer, wasn't he? Um, mm -hmm. Sort of talking about it. And he was saying um, he had um, Mist in mind uh, somewhat. Do you remember Mist? I do remember Mist. I yeah. didn't play Mist. Oh, uh, Mist yeah. was great. And I, so I was like really determined to get into it on that basis. But, um, but the, um, yeah, puzzles in Mist are a bit more like your standard point and click kind of puzzles. It's like, oh, what do I do with this lever? Where do I, you know, move this book or whatever? Um, but yeah, it's those very specific like line puzzles, as you say, the maze puzzles. Mm. Oh, my head was really struggling with them. I was having a terrible time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess it partly depends whether you've got an affinity for those kind of I think it might that. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does, yeah, does yeah. Mist does Mist have a kind of strong sense of atmosphere about yes. it? Yes. I got a feeling I might have been scared off by it when I was young. Or, or, it's, even it's, it doesn't have scary stuff in it, does it? It just has a kind of like emptiness that yes. feels quite threatening i don't know yeah it's creepy it's really creepy um yeah it's like this completely empty sort of island that you wake up on and then one of the first places you can go is like down into this underground area which is all kind of lit quite starkly and stuff and it's like this dark tunnel and i remember being very scared of this as a kid um so maybe that was the thing that freaked you out but yeah it is mm. great i do love mist yeah, very cool. beautiful very 90s aesthetic experience <laughs> yeah sure um and then the last thing i would say actually speaking of aesthetics actually um is to get back to um more more embodied objectified keys keys as keys um mm -hmm. is um i like the way that i just like the key key card distinction it's not tremendously deep but I like the way that you have games that have keys and games that you have key cards um, and that that kind of differentiates uh, two big spheres of like game genres, which is like ones that are more sort of fantasy environments and ones that are more sort of sci-fi, I suppose. And uh, it occurred to me that like developers like Arcane have got mm -hmm. Prey and Dishonored and Prey mm -hmm. is like the key card game and Dishonored is the keys game um and also yeah cd project with the witcher um and i assume cyberpunk will not have skeleton keys in it i assume they're going to be key cards yeah. and Beth bethesda as well i've got elder scrolls and they're shortly going to be releasing um starfield i mean shortly i don't know it might be a couple of years but um starfield which i assume will also have uh key cards so if you want to have two franchises on the go at once one needs to have keys <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other needs to have key cards yeah fancy games do have the very like classic design of a key don't they like the key you would draw on a bit of paper or yes. like probably like the emoji key whatever that is that is the the fantasy key that's what a key looks like yeah that is exactly even though you never encounter key in real life that looks anything like that you know that that is what they should look like that's the ideal of the key i think they're um key i feel like key cards are more vulnerable locks in games as well because they're mm -hmm. quite often open to hacking yes or to being subverted in another way whereas <laughs> fantasy keys you can't hack a, a 
That's very yeah. true. Fantasy keys, I mean, I guess you could have a lock picking mechanic. That's true. Um, but you very rarely are just going to smash open the chest again, as I say. Whereas, yeah. yeah, with the key cards, you can take out the electricity circuit, you can hack it, um, various things you can do to get, get into that room. Yeah, sure. Okay, so thank you very much for listening. That was Get Object Number One talking about keys. Um, you can find us on Twitter uh, and also reach us via email at uh, getobjectpod at gmail.com and also getobjectpod on Twitter. Um, but we will be recording the first three episodes before we release. Um, so maybe get to the end of episode three before you uh, get in touch with all your object suggestions but we would love to hear from you uh, yeah, send, send it send it wherever you like but just yeah it might take us a while before we respond to them well we, we will respond to them but as, as, uh, as soon as we get to the next episode and obviously all of the the lovely listeners that we have are going to be like reviewing this uh podcast on itunes and everything um and spreading the word so there's going to be a lot of questions to get to <laughs> and we may have to do an extra episode just to deal with all the questions because of uh, of how much our lovely listeners are going to be helping us out. Because of so. all of that wonderful promo they'll be doing, I know it's going to yeah. be it's going to be fantastic. In all seriousness, though, um, I know I don't understand how it works, but I believe when you start a new podcast, there is like a, a window for getting uh, sort of more profile on there. So if people have got the moment just to give us a quick review like that would genuinely be uh, very very helpful yeah we would hugely appreciate it thank you so much i'd love to hear people's thoughts on on keys and uh yeah whatever else they they want to speak to us about yeah um so next episode what will we be talking about next time paul maps maps lots of maps and games aren't there though uh, yeah yes that we'll be talking another, about another very important uh, object in games that appears a lot so should be plenty to say i think i hope so yeah so that'll be that'll be it well i mean we'll find out won't we um that'll that'll be not what we're doing next time um and and that's us for now thank you so much for listening thank you bye